This podcast contains content such as bullying and mental health topics and may not be suitable for listeners who are impacted by these topics. If you are experiencing issues in your workplace or would like more information on resources available in your location, please check the show notes or head to www.supercooltoxicworkplace.com. Where it's where, where they're not trying to destroy their brand, they've been hurt and and and, and they've been damaged, and and they're coming out, and I can I can attest to that. Definitely one of the worst. It was the worst financial decision I've ever made in my entire life, for sure. I saw things at San Diego that were were horrible. Uh, I I did I did things about it. I, I tried to get a lot of support from Denmark, and I feel that they didn't take it very seriously. I know for a fact that you both knew about the severity of these issues cut and dry in May, June of 2018 in San Diego. This is Super Cool Toxic Workplace, Episode 4, Headquarters. Pretty as a picture. On this episode, we continue to hear from John, the employee who began employment in San Diego, and hear what happened during his employment once he had arrived in Copenhagen and worked at Mikola headquarters. We then stay at headquarters to hear from Michael, who shares their observations from their employment. Mikola headquarters is in Copenhagen, Denmark. This is the hub and quote-unquote heart of the business and where all the main players are based. Don, Rosie, Peter, HR, and Sean. We've gone from war pigs and learned about a culture and tone that reverberated from the establishment back to headquarters. It was a culture beset by a petty and degrading abuse of power. It's interesting to me, and perplexing as well, that it's not yet been labelled as that, as an abuse of power. It is an abuse of power. And this abuse of power carried through to San Diego. And I say this because neglect and apathy is an abuse of power when you are responsible for the environment of your employees. And after months of silence and neglect since the public allegations and reporting from Kate Burnott and public deflection from the company, we know. They knew. Headquarters knew. Well, at least Don and Peter knew. So the question becomes, what was it like at headquarters? Was it the same pretty picture on the outside, masking a different reality, like it was with war pigs in San Diego? I never planned for it to be like this, But this episode does feature two men. For all the focus that has been on containing this to me too, it really is a case of them as well. We will get to it later in this podcast as to why it has been beneficial for it to be labelled and filed as me too. But I think it's important to bring you the stories of these gentlemen and what they experienced at headquarters and what they observed. So later in this episode, as mentioned, we will hear a short and anonymized testimony from Michael about his experiences and observations. And of course, we start with John. In the last episode, we had left him in the interim GM role at San Diego, in which a few months turned into 11. And we meet him in this episode, having arrived in Copenhagen, finally, to start work. The trouble for John begins around about 30 days after he had started working in Copenhagen. He had a call with his pension company who had let him know that there was a problem with his visa. And so I had an issue with my visa where it lapsed because of my time in San Diego. So I was not able to work in Denmark. 
And so um, the May solution- May I just ask, sorry, you weren't made aware of that. You, wouldn't, you were only made aware of that from your pension company. You were not made aware of that from the company. However, the company could and potentially should have known that your visa had lapsed. Correct. Yes. So, so, so that, that's one thing where, you know, I, I feel there, there was not really a ton of support when it came to the visa process. And so, for example, I was the one having to work to get my CPR number. A CPR number is basically like a social security number. It's kind of the thing that is connected to everything, most especially in places like Denmark and Sweden. So pretty much all of your medical history, driving history, where you live, everything can be looked up by this number which means that you need it to do basically anything, to even open a bank account and all those basic life administration things that don't seem important until you're an expat. Uh, all situated with the bank and then a pension company, actually. So yeah, at, at the time I was I was told I had to stop working immediately. Um, I could no longer work. And so the issue is that I had already worked 30 days without any pay. And so I was told to uh, take my laptop home and, you know, work for my company email and then very quickly, I'm sorry, my, my personal email. And then very quickly, I was told that that was a little bit risky. So um, I should probably create a, uh, a fake email um, to uh, send uh, company, company emails from just so I didn't have any paper trail of my any uh, communication through my McKellar DK email. Um, yeah, so uh, at the time, uh, you know, the issue was I couldn't get paid. The audio changes a little bit coming up, and that's because the next issue that John and I talk through is something that I needed to follow up on after the fact. I wanted to be very sure that we were presenting everything we knew as we knew it and how we knew it to be at the time. However, the audio is just a little bit different for this next section of John's testimony. Um, yeah, because of the issues with my visa, I was ultimately not able to accept any payment for the work that I had already done for the, the first month working at McKellar. So um, originally, um, uh, I was told I would have to take all my paid vacation for the entire year within that time period. Um, and I was hoping to find a different solution. And so for the, the backdated 30 days that I had already worked, the, the solution that we came to uh, a resolution there was that Stella Poly, uh, which is McKellar San Diego, um, would uh, give me a, a loan uh, for 30% of the time that I had already worked for those for that uh, whole entire month. And so at the time when uh, we were discussing the, the loan and how this would work, I was told I was going to be paying interest on the loan. Uh, at the end of the day, um, I, I can't remember exactly if I, if I was. I do know that because it was through Stella Poly, it went through my U.S. bank account, and I was in Denmark at the time. So, in order for me to access my funds, I had to uh, transfer the, the money anyway. So, so I paid for an international wire transfer fees to, to actually access it, which would be more, well, more than uh, any interest I would have paid for that period of 30 days. And then, um, after I had worked for about another month, so basically uh, two months working uh, under the table, really. How I was compensated there was I, I ended up having a signing bonus added to my contract um, after I had already started working. And that signing bonus was for the total of additional hours that I worked for the, the second month as the visa was being reprocessed. So the first month was only 30% of my, my pay salary. 
in a form of a loan that I ultimately had to get paid back. And then my signing bonus kind of covered covered the rest. And, and, and at the end of the day, in terms of the hours that I worked and the, and the money that I received from the signing bonus, it, it was almost square. There's obviously things like the international wire transfer fee and, and, and things like that. But uh, at the end of the day, that's how it got resolved. This circumstance with the loan is playing out while you're concurrently having issues with the visa and essentially working illegally for the company. That's correct. And you're confident that you would be able to provide the documentation to show that you not only received the funds of this loan, but also paid it back? Correct. We now go back to the first recording with John and the other issues that he had outside of this initial one. Uh, another issue was uh, a couple days were taken off of my, uh, of my payroll uh, because I took him as vacation, uh, even though I was supposed to get uh, paid vacation through McKellar. Um, I was part of a specific tax scheme uh, that is supposed to get talent from the United States over to Denmark that may not be uh, very widely available in Denmark. So it, it's called a specialist tax scheme. Mm-hmm. So uh, the craft beer industry just exploded in the United States. And I worked for a craft brewery for about four years. So in my mind, it, it made sense. You know, there's not a lot of huge craft breweries that have global supply chains that do contract manufacturing in, in uh, you know, in, in Europe, let alone Denmark. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, when, when I brought these issues up to Peter, first, when it came to the salary conversion, um, he was, I was told that he couldn't keep track of everyone's salary. And that's just something I've had to deal with. Uh, when it came to the paid holidays act and in my vacation, he said, there's a stipulation there where you have to work a full year until I can get paid vacation. And it's basically my fault for not, not reading that. Um, and I should have read that. And then when it came to my visa status, even though I have email documentation of him guaranteeing that status to me prior to coming on board, because it's a difference between getting taxed 60% and 26%. So it's something that I, you know, it was a, it was a big variable in my decision matrix to coming over to Denmark. So it's not something that I would have overlooked. Um, and I need to get that in, in written documentation. So um, at the time, he told me I wasn't special and, and that everyone gets taxed uh, 60%. And so all of these issues, I, you know, had to basically fight to get them resolved. And Peter. Who was... Um, actively trying to get me, you know, not to get the specialist tax scheme, not to get paid vacation, not to get the correct salary conversion. So definitely very shocking and and eye-opening when I got there because when I was in San Diego and I wasn't working alongside him every single day, um, you know, I was called a hero. Um, I put my entire life on hold flying back and forth between Denmark, New York City, and San Diego. Um, yeah, so when it came to getting everything resolved for my first uh, paycheck. He goes on to say he takes the information to the company lawyer. Our, our in-house general counsel, and I showed him Danish, Danish Salary Holidays Act, and I showed him both my contracts, and I said, uh, you know, based on what you're reading here, um, do you think I should get paid vacation? And he said, oh, it, it's very clear. You definitely get paid vacation. Uh, you know, sorry for the issue. I was like, great. I got, I, you know, got all resolved, got the, got that part adjusted. Um, uh, and then when it came to my tax scheme, I went to our pension company and I showed them the email documentation that I had from Peter guaranteeing that I would be under the specialist tax scheme. 
Um, and their initial statement was, oh, this is very bad. Uh, he should never have done this. He's not the one that is going to guarantee it. You have to apply for it first beforehand. And so uh, not only was it was I not applied for under the special task team, what I originally agreed on, it was no longer something that could be a guarantee. And so uh, they felt very bad for me because I had explained that I just dropped my entire life in the United States and moved over here. And this was a big decision. I mean, my, my wife left her job. Um, she actually left a little bit earlier because of the transition in San Diego. Um, so, so, you know, she was unemployed for about eight months before even, even going to Denmark. So from a financial standpoint, um, it was something that if we had known beforehand was definitely not a decision we would have made to move over here. It just wouldn't be financially um, sustainable. The pension company felt bad for me and they said, here's what we're going to do. Uh, we are going to give you uh, the specialist tax scheme when it comes to the deductions from your paycheck. However, we will reprocess your visa under the tax specialist tax scheme. Uh, if you do not get awarded that specific type of tax scheme, then you will be owed back taxes for the total amount that you underpaid. And so at the time, I was like, okay, um, I, I don't really feel like I have much of an option here, so I'm just going to you know, move forward with that plan. Um, and, and the thing I, I do want to point out is that, um, you know, I had to go around Peter. to get this resolved. It was not something that he was going to help me with. Um, if, if anything, actually, he was actively trying to work against me to get these resolved. Do you know why so, he maybe was like that towards you? Do you have some sense or comprehension? I, I literally to this day have no idea if there was somebody that was working underneath me and I had the ability to even pull some strings to get them some paid vacations, I, I, I would do it immediately, like, like just to, to make them happy. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, I, I do feel like I was uh, manipulated. I was coerced to coming over to Denmark. I was directly lied to. I mean, I, I have I have the email documentation of being lied to. So, um, so at the, at the end of the day, I, I have no idea. Uh, it's something that I think about all the time, just like why, why, why? It just doesn't make sense to me at all. You know, the the kind of final straw for me was was when it came to my my San Diego bonus. So, at the end of the year, uh, 2018, uh, I was asked when I was still in San Diego uh, to organize all the employees, uh, basically an Excel spreadsheet, uh, who I thought was deserving of a bonus and potentially how much, and this was a, uh, a year-end bonus. Uh, and he told me to leave out myself uh, and one other individual at the time. And the reason for leaving us both out was because we had uh, bonuses built into our contract. And, um, and so he's like, oh, we'll get to that a little bit later. I never once received a, a negative review. Uh, so yeah, about five months goes by, and I don't hear anything. Um, and this was uh, May of 2019. Um, and then I reached out to them, basically just asking to have a conversation about my bonus. Some time has passed. And, you know, the time went quick. Everything was super busy. We're working on a lot of projects. And so um, he gets back to me and says, yeah, like, we'll, we'll find a time to do it. Don't worry. Um, and then two more months goes by, and this is July. So over half of the year is gone, and I, I, we haven't even had a conversation um, about it. I approach him again. Um, he says, yeah, yeah, sorry, sorry. I'm just very busy. You know, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. Two more months passes, and, and I remember I was doing this every, like, two months, and I only brought it up to him three times. 
Um, and each time it was to have a conversation. I wasn't being demanding. I wasn't saying, hey, where's my bonus? I'm just saying, can we, can we please have a conversation around this? And in September, early September of 2019, that's the third time that I, I reached out. Um, and he kind of blew up on me a little bit and called me a greedy, money-hungry American. And so that's the point in time where I immediately made the decision that this is not working. We have to have an exit plan for Denmark and move back to the United States. Uh, and it was something that was very, very shocking. The, the biggest issue for me at the time was uh, there's absolutely no one to go to. He goes on to say he can't go to Don because that would be going above Peter and that would be bad because he would be... He immediately fired. Um, at the time, when I, when I first joined uh, McKellar Denmark, we did not have an HR role. The company kind of laughed about traditional HR when it came to the United States and you know, didn't really take things too seriously. At that time in September, um, there was someone that just kind of uh, transitioned to an office manager slash HR role, uh, and she reported everything to Peter. So I knew that if I were to uh, mention anything to her about my situation, it would just immediately go up to Peter. Um, you know, he would, you know, get wind of the conversation we had, and then I'd be terminated. So I kind of knew those are my only two options. So. Me and my wife spoke about it and we're like, okay, we'll, we'll have a transition plan out to be uh, home by Christmas. And that, that was the, that was the plan. Um, and I said, but before I, I do that, I, I feel like I have to talk to her about this and just let her know everything that was going on. And the entire company knew that there were, you know, uh, I wasn't having the best time there in terms of me having to work in secrecy for two months and, and, and knew I had issues with my tax scheme and stuff like that. And I just kind of laid everything out to her um, and told her exactly how I felt, all my concerns about, you know, um, how I've been treated very unfairly. And she was definitely, um, you know, very apologetic. She felt bad for me, for sure. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I know she's going to have that conversation with Peter. And I don't know what's going to happen there. Um, and then so, uh, yeah, three weeks after I had that conversation with her, I was handed my uh, termination letter. Uh, and the, re uh, the reason for termination was because of restructuring in the company. So, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, when I got the termination letter, um, we had already made the decision to move back to the United States. So it wasn't that much of a shock. I either knew I was going to end the relationship or it was going to be McKellar. And, and yeah, and. So we moved uh, back to the U.S. What was your mental state like as you left Copenhagen? Yeah, um, that's a tough one. I mean, um, through that whole process, um, you know, the last three months um, were pretty tough. I mean, I, I had made the wrong decision. Uh, my, my wife trusted me to make that decision and, um, you know, I persuaded her to, to come to Denmark. She put her entire career on hold. And so it, it was t a tough pill to swallow, you know, at the end of the day, coming back to the United States, not having jobs, not having a place to live, not knowing what we're going to do for income, not having a car. We had just sold all of our things from the United States and not, not to seem materialistic, but like, you know, we, we sold everything, moved to Denmark, bought everything new had to sell everything and then move back to the United States. So it's like, definitely from a financial decision, it, it, it was 
definitely one of the worst. It was the worst financial decision I've ever made in my entire life, for sure. And, you know, from a mental standpoint, you know, it, it, it's definitely a little scary because, you know, we don't know how quickly we're going to fall on our feet. You know, I, I think the biggest issue for me was I was second guessing myself and my ability to be effective. I mean, I've never been terminated before and I've really had a bad review. So the fact that this happened, um, I, I know there were a lot of things that I could tell myself that um, what went wrong, but I, I keep thinking to myself, what, what could I have done differently or what could I have done better um, to avoid a situation like that? And um, it's, it's very hard to kind of cope with. But at the end of the day, um, I feel like I've gotten my closure a little bit because me and my wife did land on our feet. Um, you know, I, I know there's, there's a lot of other people out there that may not have ended up on their feet as quickly um, or may have been, you know, hurt or, or damaged more than I have. And to see some of the stuff that's, that's online right now where people are calling this cancel culture and and things like that, um, you know, it, it, it hurts me because I know there's out, people out there that, that are, are damaged from this and are very hurt. And that just hurts even more. And, and I know it's not true. And I know this is serious and it's very serious. And if I can bring, um, if I can bring validity to the conversation, then that's, that's something that is the right thing to do. And coming from my perspective, I, I saw things at San Diego that were, were horrible. Uh, I, I did, I did things about it. I, I tried to get a lot of support from Denmark and I feel that they didn't take it very seriously. I know for a fact, Don and Peter both knew about the severity of these issues cut and dry in May, June of 2018 in San Diego. I can verify that and I can attest to that. And so um, some of the people out there that are um, you know, still hurting from this, if I can validate their claims, that's the right thing to do. I wouldn't be able to live myself later on and thinking, what if I were to bring something to the conversation that would, would, would help other people and is the right thing to do. Um, and, and I sincerely believe that. And you talk about seeing this stuff online and it all coming back. Obviously, some time has passed since you departed the company and since all this has come up. And you knew, obviously, about the culture. What were your feelings when you started to see these stories coming out? Uh, I, 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 was, I was more shocked in a way where I was like, oh, finally something's happening or it's coming out or it's getting revealed in, in some way or like to be honest what I was thinking was it, it's finally caught up to them it, that, that, that's really what I was thinking I mean Peter called me a money hungry American I mean I'm, I'm a I'm a 30 year old white male there's not really too much that he can really you know hurt me with but he decided to use the fact that I'm an expat to attack me and hurt me you know at the end of the day I'm, I'm, I'm not very marginalized and so um, you know the, the fact that he attacked me um, that way and how he treated me um, keep in mind I'm you know I wasn't his right-hand man but if he has four or five right-hand men in the company I was one of them so that's the way I was treated so if, if I'm treated that way then what is someone that's treated like that's you know three or four levels down the bottom of the totem pole so it, it's something that I experienced directly in San Diego, um, where where I saw what was going on, and it's something that I experienced personally myself when I was in Denmark. You know, I I, I can I can validate both of those uh, at both locations. So we know that the company knows you and knows that you had these problems and knows that you were 
bullied by this person. Have they reached out to you at all since this time? No. Um, the last communication I've had with McKellar was was uh, in February of 2020. I was told that um, I would get the remainder of my bonus because my bonus is at year end uh, around that time. Uh, and I reached out to Peter for an update. Um, and, and, and he basically like, basically told told me to go fuck myself <laughs> over email um, stating all these issues about things that had happened that, that were completely un- unrelated to my role and that's the reason why I'm, I'm not getting a bonus even though that was part of my my settlement agreement so so that was the last time I ever had any communication with uh, with McKellar yeah that would happen so um, you know I, I do feel like I was taken advantage of and um, I was painted this beautiful beautiful picture of how everything was going to be and 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 when i looked to Anne and i i picked that picture apart i i did my analysis i got you know written documentation um and then when i came over there and not only did i realize that the picture was different but it was it was a nightmare you know it was just very eye-opening i was like oh my god like what did i do and you know i'm not the person that really makes rash decisions I, i think them out very thoroughly I'm very process oriented. So I literally built out a very complex decision matrix in Excel based on my financials, based on my future career, based on what we wanted to do, uh, based on everything that Denmark has to offer, you know, and and rank like how much do we value having, um, you know, some some more vacation? Um, How much do we value taking a little bit of of a pay cut to go live in a different country? And so this is very, very meticulously thought out. And there's a lot of inputs that I put into that decision matrix that were just, that were just false. And, and, and they were false because I was directly lied to. I'd like to think it, was, it wasn't my error um, and I could have done anything differently. But other than getting written documentation of these very, very big variables in my decision, um, I don't know what else I could have done, um, unfortunately. Is there anything else over these last years that has stuck with you as a lesson about workplaces or anything, I guess, that you've taken forward from these experiences as a result of this? Definitely less less trusting, for sure. Even before that, I was someone that was very conservative that would get like the final answer and all the backup documentation behind it. And, and I feel like I, I did that and, and it still didn't didn't work out in my favor. So, you know, that's been something that like, I, I would say has changed me in more of a negative way than a positive way. You know, it, it was the worst financial decision I've ever made in my entire life. Um, it did affect me, you know, physically and, and mentally, you know, traveling across the US and San Diego and Denmark and New York for a whole year. And having to move, pick up and move everything across the entire world and come back within the same year, it was super stressful. We were going through something very traumatic and, and stressful uh, while we were over in Denmark, and, and we, we didn't have our friends and family to be there to support us. We were, we were alone. That was very, um, very, very sad. Other things, uh, you know, specifically McKellar, what I've kind of thought about um, in the past year or so, I've always wanted to know if Don felt Peter was was hiding things from him. You know, I read this in an article, Don, the brains of the company, and Peter was the, the muscle. 
and in every sense of the word where like Peter giving the marching orders to drive things forward and he's the muscle when it comes to being a bully all these things that happened to me specifically I don't know what Peter told Don uh, I don't know what Don knows and what he doesn't know about my situation or everyone else's situation that has kind of come forward um, for that matter Peter he's basically judge jury and executioner um, and, and and I learned that the hard way and then I guess the one thing that I've always kind of asked too is like, yeah, so when it comes to um, things I've just kind of thought about and, and looked back on, I don't know why Don didn't come to San Diego. When I sent him that email, the first thing I would have done was just drop everything I'm doing and go to San Diego and get on a flight. I, I, I can say that without a doubt. Um, and he just never came. Um, you know, he, he was flying to North Korea to run the Pyongyang Marathon and going to Greenland to brew beer and Bhutan and flying all over the place to, you know, brew beer and, and get high fives. But um, there was a big issue in San Diego that, that he knew about. And not once did he ever go there to try and affect change and, and impact things. And, and maybe at the time he didn't think it's very important, but right now I'm sure he has a different opinion of that with everything else that's going on. And if he had went to San Diego and, could say like, hey, as soon as I knew about this, I got on a flight and went down there and try and resolve it, which he didn't. Um, and, and that's something that always kind of bothers me and was thinking, why? Like, why, why do you have all this time to go and, and brew beer with all your friends and, you know, go have all this fun, but you, you can't take a week out of your schedule or a few days to go down to San Diego and say, hey, you know, we're getting these results and, and we're going to fix it and, and we're going to get to the bottom of this and I'm here and I'm committed. Um, there was none of that. And that's something that I, I've always kind of asked, asked myself. Is there anything else that you would like the people who've heard your story today to know? There's a lot of people out there that are coming out of the woodwork and, and making claims. I've seen firsthand myself some of the same claims that they're making. It's just a different person, and it's, it's slightly different. I can tell by my direct experience being in San Diego and seeing those things happen that they're most likely true. It's very highly likely that they're true. I cannot speak to individuals that were there before my time, but I can speak overall to the work culture. And that work culture that I experienced when I first got to McKellar, San Diego, definitely bred those types of experiences that, that people had that affect them in a negative way. Um, I can attest to that firsthand. I can also attest to experiencing it from the top myself being in Denmark. So all the way from San Diego to Denmark, from the bottom to the top, uh, I've, I've, I've seen it myself and I've experienced it myself. If I can bring some validity to the conversation, and some people that are out there that don't have backup emails, that don't have a documentation about their experience, that feel like they're being gaslit and are super stressed out about the situation and, and don't know where to go. Um, if I can bring just a little bit of that to the conversation, yeah, that's that's the right thing to do. When, when I read the transcript of... Don on DR. Uh, you know, just kind of gaslighting these people and saying that they're, they're trying to destroy my brand where it's 
where, where they're not trying to destroy their brand. They've been hurt and, 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 and they've been damaged and, and they're coming out. And I can, I can attest to that. Even at McKellar, there's like an us versus them mentality. And if someone does something wrong, it's like, they're an idiot, they're stupid, they're a horrible person, and let's get rid of them. And then, and every single person that they terminated previously, they would speak very, very nasty of. There's a very like us versus them mentality um, when it comes to McKellar. And if you're not part of the in crowd, then you're part of the out crowd and you're going to be treated as such. We are now going to continue with Michael, who also worked at the Copenhagen headquarters. How long did you work for Mikola? I would say about four years. And why did you want to work there? And also, you know, what was your perception of the company prior to working there? McKellar seemed like a really cool company with a global reach and good opportunities. The general perception that I had of the company was that they did things their own way, but cared for their employees and cared about the beer that they produced. What sort of information were you given about the company structure, how to deal with employment-related issues, and things of that nature. As far as I can recall, I was never provided any of this information when starting. If I remember correctly, location-specific employee handbooks were made while I worked there, but I never saw them. A HQ employee handbook was in the process of being made for around about three years, but I never received a completed copy of that. While you were employed there, who represented the leadership of Mikola, and who did you report directly to? The leadership was represented by... Don and Peter. ...rest of the board of directors. According to my contract, my direct superior was the global head of sales... In reality, I reported directly to... Don and Peter, what did you observe about the company culture? And where possible, please provide examples if you feel it supports your observation. The company culture appeared to me to be a toxic mix of bullying, inappropriate behavior, talk, and hubris. Staff were constantly bullied by supervisors and colleagues. I personally saw numerous people brought to tears in the office by this behavior. When employees were reported to HR for this behavior, nothing happened. I also saw multiple staff members leave Mikola because of these problems. Crass jokes and other would be what I would consider inappropriate actions and they were commonplace. For example, I was CC'd onto an email between a US brewery owner 
and Mikula's COO, where the Mikula employee jokingly was offering a sloppy blowjob in exchange for exporting beer to Denmark, which was gross. Drinking beer often before lunch was pushed onto employees, so you could be made fun of and not partaking. I was asked to do things that I either had ethical or moral objections with, or frankly, I was unqualified to do. On multiple occasions, I asked legal counsel for advice with legal matters and was told to Google it. Ultimately, I witnessed workplace bullying that I would, yes, describe as inappropriate. I only ever reported it once after an instance that happened directly to me, and nothing happened and I was told to continue working with the colleague that I had reported. So you did file a complaint at some point about your own personal experience of harassment and nothing happened as a result of that report. You were told to continue working with that employee. Yeah, absolutely nothing happened when I reported the behavior, and yeah, I I had to keep working with that employee. This might be an obvious question, but did you feel, therefore, that you were able to safely discuss concerns in the workplace with HR or leadership? Not at No, not at all. It was very clear that HR reported directly to Don and Peter. And any decisions would be made with them. Going back to one of my earlier questions about the perception that you had of the company before you started working there. Has that perception changed after your experiences of being employed there? And could you describe those changes? Yes, my perception changed. It became apparent to me that the leadership at Mickler only cared about profits and growth. There was really very little, if any, thought or energy put into the staff well-being, quality control, or any sort of charity beyond easy PR wins. In some of our other discussions that weren't recorded, you have mentioned an interaction with Peter. Could you describe that interaction for me? Yeah, so shortly after the hashtag me too and harvey weinstein started peter approached me from behind in the middle of headquarters slapped my rear and whispered me too in my ear he proceeded to say that it was a good thing smartphones weren't around when he was Next episode, we'll continue to hear about working at headquarters. 
on the next episode of Super Cool Toxic Workplace. We, the company doesn't need anybody, so if you don't do what you're told, you would just be replaced. So it's it's not a Me Too thing. It's not isolated to a Me Too thing. It's um, it's the culture in general. The victims. I have to call them victims because we were victims of this duo that did not have any respect for our lives and the way we were impacted. Super Cool Toxic Workplace is a hand-in-heart media production and was written, produced, and hosted by Kate Bailey. To join in the conversation around episodes, follow at handandheart.eu on Instagram or at underscore Kate underscore Bailey underscore on Twitter. Original music by Julia Laws. Design and social media templates were provided by the anonymous artist going by Bennis Gallery and were provided for free. For all information and resources relating to this podcast, including contact links should you wish to connect with Kate and the team, head to www.supercooltoxicworkplace.com. Thank you most especially to our sources, whose courage and commitment have brought you these stories today. And thank you for listening.